We're going to talk to you about the most urgent thing that is on our mind and what we suspect is the most urgent thing on the minds of those who will connect with us. We'll title this tape. All right, cool guys. So welcome to the fourth installment of Create, Copy, Paste podcast, where we talk about the trials and tribulations, the ups and downs, ins and outs of agency life here at GKC, a little content creation agency based in Cape Town. My name is Devils. I won't be doing all the talking. I have to my left, someone new to the podcast, and his name is Kevin. Hey. (laughs) What's up? Kevin Kevin. Schneider, in case you were wondering. (laughs) And then on his right, or my right, is good old... Dan Walsh, been here before, done it before. Sorry, I'm back. Find the booth. <laughs> <laughs> Looking dapper with his new sunglasses. I don't know if I'm going to take this one serious. Cool. So, yo, guys, so today's topic, I think what we want to talk about is pretty much film gear and just, yeah, our experiences with all that stuff. Um, one, two things that I do want to just go through. I think let's not keep it too technical in terms of like, you know, bit rates and kind of brands and all that. Gigapixels. Yeah, no, 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 no. But on top of that, though, I did want to add, though, I think a big thing to maybe start this conversation was the revolution of the 5D, because I think, to be honest, if it wasn't for the 5D, like, psh, I wouldn't be here. Mm. Um, and Truth. I think that's one of the ones. Yes, a lot of babies. Hashtag all of us. I think all of us <laughs> had 5Ds, right? Or yeah, I had a 5D for yeah, sure. 5D. Well, I had, a, I had the, the crop sensor at the 600D. Almost as like a as like a gateway drug. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe yeah. let's reverse reverse firstly though. Kevin, tell us a little bit about who you are, why you're here, what you do. Me, uh, I'm a freelance cinematographer, DP, I guess, and um, shoot a lot of action sports stuff. That's what I like to do. But then, you know, a lot of online content for cool agencies like GKC. <laughs> uh, yeah, quick plug. And then, um, yeah, I, I think. I got in around about the time the 5D2 came out. Kind of the same as everyone, yeah, maybe. Yeah. I'm not too sure. And like like Devil said, it was quite a revolutionary thing because it, it it like closed in the gap between like owning a big sensor cinema camera or having a small chip or small sensor video camera, which obviously didn't have the same look at all. Now, out of nowhere, you, you could, for like a semi-affordable price, get something with a big sensor that kind of looked... Depth of field. Yeah, like you get depth of field. All these lenses that were like maybe lying around. Yeah, and I had new purpose and everything was cinematic. Um, Yeah. And then all of a sudden you could get like super shallow depth of field for a reasonably affordable price. Yeah, I must say that was a game changer in terms of, I think everything since then is because of what the 5D set up, that like foundation Mm. of just this new set of filmmakers and like like breathe of life into this whole, I kind of almost created a, a mini industry within the industry. Yeah, completely. Like cinematic yet quick turnaround yeah. is kind of what that, I think. And dude, I think so, so many people must have gotten so pissed off. I just remember rocking up on sets, like doing BTS stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you rock up with like a motion slider and like a little jib and the big guys are just looking at you and they're like, dude, like if we wanted to do that shot, that would cost us like a hundred thousand rand. And like, here we come with these little two toys yeah. that all of a sudden we're creating these cinematic images that like sure. beforehand was only, you know, feasible if you had those big budgets speaking of which it was also kind of like a bit of a an, a quick in into the industry i mean you wouldn't have to work your way up the traditional ladder of yeah, camera of departments etc so the the 5d so-called the dslr revolution was allowing a quick way to go from 
even not even a student. I mean, you could just become a filmmaker, and if your stuff was good enough through that technology, you mean yeah, like if you had an idea, the barrier of entry to making that idea into an image wasn't as big. Like, you didn't have to go find you know, a very expensive video camera. Or, I think you mentioned like the barriers of entry to <laughs> filmmaking since that camera came out have just gone. Changed. Yeah, yeah. Since that, it's just and I think it's changing again now. Like in the last year, with um, what companies like DJI are doing. Because I feel like for, I know we're not going to get too technical here, but with for the same price as like one really expensive cinema camera, you could get, you know, one of those like Osmo handle things. And then also you can get a drone and then you've got two 4K cameras and a stabilize your, and a gimbal and they stabilize, focus and expose themselves. So whereas before people looked at us and they were like, well, us being like the, the 5D guys, like, oh, like, look how easy you guys got it. Like he's got this camera that looks like great out of the, the box now i think you could be a filmmaker without even knowing without even having to know how to expose focus a camera or stabilize because yeah. you know they come ready out the box to like fly a drone or to Just press the button and yeah, it's dirty. press the button and, and you know if, I, I guess then the skill comes down to you as an editor mm. or well, then yeah, then yeah, it's the true. storytelling and yeah, kind of the shots and yeah. then you know that's a whole another podcast in itself yeah we for can sure. go on about but i think i feel like there's another revolution happening right now and that's even it, it, it's the it's the consumer revolution whereas before like owning a 5d it was still a hefty amount of money for a consumer and to you go still buy. to know how to technically get your exposure get oh, your focus completely. get all that in fact it was harder i think because like you had to know things a few things about like rolling shutter you had to know things about more and aliasing you had to know things about focusing because everything you know was super shallow that was the biggest thing for me was like when you first pick it up and you're like oh where's the autofocus and you realize there's no autofocus and you're like cool so wait how have people been doing this and you literally realize that everyone's been manually focusing and now all of a sudden you have to manual and i was like yo this is like yeah so like, much different I, than photos i want completely. a 50 mil and i want to open up to 1.2 but then you need to uh, with great power comes great responsibility <laughs> you, need to, you need to live with the fact that you're gonna have to focus for anything that moves at f1.2 yeah and i think the other interesting thing like as you talked on on the dgi side of life like just mm. low lights is now like it's opened this whole new where you don't need lights anymore or you're shooting at night now i remember like last year when i had the gimbal with the sony a7s at night in vietnam dude i was going through the streets and i was like you know this kind of footage has been so like you need to have unobtainable Unob and now all of a sudden you've got low light ISO 12,000, 20,000. You've got a yeah. gimbal on one hand going through like anything like it's just lit up and now it just opens those doors, which beforehand, if you didn't have cash, you wouldn't be able to even come close to that. I mean, above that, I think with A7S, a lot of people got like, oh, I don't need lights. But what's even more exciting is that you could just use smaller lights. Mm -hmm. So you could, you could light a room with like, you know, I know how like LEDs are becoming way more popular now than they were when the 5Ds came out. But now you can have smaller, you know, lights that don't heat up the room as much, lights that don't draw as much power. And you can just crank, like the sensitivity of your sensor is now helping you as a film crew become smaller and more compact. Yeah, like just today, and this was just slightly off topic, but like Dylan and I were trying to figure out a way. And I know, Dan, we've spoken about this before, but taking a UPS and like taking these fluorescent LED tubes that draw like 25 watts, and they're just taking the beep out of the UPS and now you've got a massive power bank that can literally charge like, you know, I think it's a thousand watts maybe per per UPS that'll run these lights for like 10 hours, like one yeah. light, like times like by four lights. Yeah. Um, and it won't create any heat. We haven't or... tried that yet, but um, we're trying to figure out ways. We're looking at taking a... Oh, you're a giving your ideas away gate. online. <laughs> nah, you're <laughs> f***ing. Everyone should be able to... 
We're looking at using the security gate because that one broke the other day and I look and it's a giant battery and they're cheap because batteries are expensive. But these security gates like 500 bucks for like a 12 volts. Because mm, it's, it's a consumer product. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and the the film industry, then it's direct current, AC current and now you're talking inverters and that's where I was yeah. like, okay. Anything in the film industry, you can add another zero to the price tag because it's in film. True. Like these are just ghetto as fluorescents. But um, in any case, then to segue, I guess one of the, while we're on that, you know, cheap, cheap gear and whatnot, like, as you guys were starting, kind of, you know, did you guys ever, like, make your own gear? Or they, do you ever remember, like, ghetto, like, I just know I have a couple. Yeah, tell us. Yeah, I I made a glide cam. That's actually cool, because that's how I want to segue this, because this is how we met. At least I met you was because you were one of the only guys yeah. in Cape Town who had this glide cam that wasn't the kind of glide glide cam or Merlin back in the day. It was one that you and your dad, like, personally built. And like on my phone, you're still saved today as Steady Kevin. Like, Steady Kevin. Kevin Steady. Someone or something. called me the Schneider Glider the other day. <laughs> but it was, it was actually so funny because at the time, like you said, like we knew what the Merlin was. If you don't know what the Merlin was, it was a handheld balanced gimbal system. A lot of people associate gimbals now with a motorized kind, but not realizing that a gimbal could be not motorized and just be used with weights. But at the time, you know, like getting a glide cam like the, the kind that like Devin Graham has or whatever, like getting that in SA was so expensive. I think only one place brought him in and still like 12 grand for one or something crazy. So then my dad and I looked at it and we're like, oh, like let's, let's build one. My dad's like a really good tool, toolman slash engineer. And then we started developing it. And the funny thing is, is we developed, we tried to improve it and we copied a lot of designs. Well, didn't copy. We did a couple of designs that later came into the new Glidecam. And I guess we were on the same thought pattern because some of the stuff that we thought of actually was implemented in the newer version. And that helps so much because this was before Ronins were around and I was kind of like one of the only people at a really cheap price point that could get those kind of shots. Yeah. And I think that was like a really cool thing when I was, because I was 19 or 20 when I, when I that was like, that's what set you apart. Like from every other, like when we were like, cool, who are we going to hire? It's like, cool, there's Daniel, you got myself and we're like, yo, we need a steady cam guy. And like, oh, we don't have budget, but hey, Kevin and his, you know, yeah, his, his ghetto glide cam. Dude, that thing was, it wasn't ghetto. It was, I call it ghetto because it was homemade. Yeah. But dude, it was solid. Like yeah. you had two of them, I think at some stage. You were just yeah, like, I wanted stolen. to buy one off you at one stage. Yeah. And then you're like, nah, I ain't selling them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. On, but the funny on. thing is I wasn't selling them not to be like an ass, but it was because like, I think it was 50-50. It was like 50, no, you don't want to kill your own market, but at the same yeah, time, you're like, your Yo, I'm trying to build camera gear for a living. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely wasn't trying to get into that, like build camera gear for a living. But I understood, I was very aware at the time that that's what stood that what's what set me apart from other like freelance filmmakers in their early 20s trying to like trying to stand out i knew that that was something that set me apart because at the time everyone wanted to shoot on a 5d and there was no ronins or motorized gimbals so to get that shot it was a steady cam operator getting hundreds of thousands of yeah which is completely overkill so at the time I think it was myself and then Rowan, P- Rowan Pibus, who was the only guy who could really shout make out a... Shout out to Rowan. Yeah, shout out yeah, to Rowan. Yeah. Makulu. Um, he was the only guy who made a Merlin look good. Because yeah. the Merlins were hard to use. Dude, we got a Merlin. I remember I literally, Pooch and I, for like three weekends, went to Deer Park. And for two days every weekend, I followed him around on this Merlin trying to figure out how to work this thing. And like I made a little film out of it. But like still to this day, like That's that thing compared to like... It was the most touch sensitive. It was a mission. Dude, it didn't I have enough videos. weight to it. I don't think. Yeah, it was to get it just right. And then if the wind blew, it was one of those. Where if the wind blew, like that ruins your shot because like literally just that little yeah, bit of pressure and throws off your whole gimbal. And I was like. But what I like about it still to this day is that no matter what, if I use a, a Ronin, I mean not a Ronin, if I use a glide cam 
nothing about it looks robotic. Everything about it looks quite fluid, like a human yeah. walk or a human arm would look. And I sometimes prefer it over something motorized that looks kind of rigid. You know, talking about low price gear, like, you know, Amavi Pro, you know, like yeah, literally price. that is the one big improvement over the Ronin that I found like off the bat was that Mavi just makes so little, so much less robotic. Like you do a wrap around and the thing actually feels like you're like steady cam wrapping. It's not yeah. like that motorized like Ronin kind yeah. of jokey joke. But that's um, real gear. Yeah, that's real gear. So let's just yeah. scratch that. <laughs> but, we'll get uh, to that. <laughs> Daniel, your side, you come up with any yeah. crazy camera inventions? I'm sure you had a, had a, had a fig rig. <laughs> I actually didn't. I to be, honestly, honestly I just kind of stuck with what I had and worked with what I got given. I mean... No vintage the, glass? No, not really, to be honest. Like my, my invention of gear history is pretty boring, to be honest. Oh. I went from a 60D to a 5d3 and invested accordingly glass tried a couple of vintage lenses like stills lenses wasn't really convinced at the time um yeah not so much yeah i mean it's it's sliders it's gimbals it's no ghetto rigging in your dad's but I think that year garage. when we met, yeah, like that's when, dude, I made a perspex, wood slider with perspex like railings and like olive oil as my glide, like no, my grease, no dude, and like two of those shots were in the showroom for like probably two, three years. And I think that was the year that when we met, because I remember that's when we were doing yeah, some UCT yeah. shoots. Wait, you put olive oil? Yeah, yeah, you know, to make it smooth, to make that like CVC, PVC piping and the, dude, I went to Builder's Warehouse and I just got a random bunch of shit and try to make something and you know you know it was ghetto as fuck but like it's so <laughs> cool I've never heard of someone like rock up to a climbing up the slider <laughs> but um I guess then to segue from that like buying versus hiring versus you know and I think Daniel that's where you you know you always said you invested appropriately and kind of yeah I didn't I, I essentially kind of looked at it like you know when I was at film school I used what they had um, not always the cameras but I, if, if it wasn't good enough I'll try hustle somewhere else and where the hustle came in was the the rental side, um, try allocate any budget if there was, or try borrow, or mm. you know, do whatever it took to get the appropriate shots. You know, if you're stuck with a tripod, that's where you you stayed. You stayed on the tripod. Mm. Um, yeah, kind of wouldn't venture out into the handheld thing until you know it offered. The camera went from tripod to said gimbal, said slider, jib, whatever it was, um, and that's to this day how I kind of have always been shooting. I've never really, yeah, I've never really stepped outside of those. I'm, I'm generally, Parameters, yeah. yeah. I love handheld. I, like I hate handheld. Damn, I'm like all about it. I love shooting handheld in the sense that you don't need other shit and you're like, whoa, I'm liberated. And then I look at the footage, I'm like, God damn it, I wish I had like a slider or a monopod. Nah, or something I, like. I shake cameras on purpose. <laughs> Maybe not with you guys. But if you're going, then that's where it's also the SLR versus handheld versus a red handheld. It's a different look. Oh, that's completely that's completely true. Because like I like D handheld, fifty mil, dude. Unless you're just literally sucking it up and going. Actually, now that <clears throat> now that you mentioned that, I would typically like if I was gonna follow someone, like do the the, the standard like tracking shot, followed out a hallway or whatever. I would always put a smaller camera on a gimbal or something. But now that I think about it, I I only ever do that kind of thing handheld on a bigger camera like a red. Yeah, mm. it's just that weight disposition, like I guess, kind of. Yeah, you, you lose that like micro shake that looks really bad on like big sensors. But I, mean, I suppose that's also why we invested all of our money into stabilized lenses. If, if the lens wasn't stabilized, you generally wouldn't buy it. Yeah. Uh, and that, that comes from the 5D3 times when I was like, 
um, handheld is just doesn't look good at. Totally. At so a handheld along without IS yeah. is even like it's, no, more. that that's exactly it. Like it's not. Um, and how we're going backwards because the cameras are stabilized inside inside now. them. So yeah, like so glasses, it, cool. uh, it just opens so many options to like lenses that you wouldn't never have touched before. Um, but then, yeah, I mean, as soon as you step outside of you know the A7S IIs, uh, the EVA Panasonic EVA one, yeah, then you looking either at stabilized lenses or putting them at yeah putting them on a good. I mean, that kind of thing is insane, especially for like. Like, like the kind of stuff Diabolt does, like because you do a lot of you do a lot of traveling with your camera gear, and keeping it small is like super crucial. Yeah. And then on top of that, if some if your lens is stabilized, or not, I mean not even your lens, if your camera body, like I know you shoot a lot on the A7S II, if that is stabilized, you can like jump out of the whatever you're in, boat, car, tram, do a shot, handheld. I still never to do it, but yeah, it's true. With the, I've heard the in-camera stabilizations, but I think growing up with that five D stuff where everything was so shaky, if you go handheld, I'm so like put off of any handheld. Oh yeah, where I'm like, I'm like apprehensive about it. And this is like a hundred <laughs> frames with the IS lens or IS body, then maybe you know. That's so funny. I love uh, it. I just love something to feel like a little like like it's breathing almost, like it has yeah. life. But I understand what you mean. It's also, I guess, your shooting style and all that kind of stuff. But versus renting, it's it's so unique to your scenario. Yeah, I think that's where we kind of digress. Like renting and versus buying, what do you guys find? Like in which situations, you know, I know oh, I man. take, but... Do you want to take this? Yeah. Because <laughs> so, you're good. Yeah, Daniel, you're good at buying stuff, like camera stuff. Like you, you put thought into it and you're not one of the... Like, yeah. You know, uh, Daniel's actually someone I make sure I have a conversation with before I buy something. Yeah. You've talked me out of many a, a, a potential screw up of impulse, a purchase. Impulse, <laughs> yeah. impulse buying and Daniel... Buying, yeah. yeah. Uh, so... The, the way that I think about purchasing is like, A, you know, is how is it going to push your career and are you going to get a return on investment? So the thing is, you can go and buy all these toys, but are people A, going to pay for it? And if they're not going to pay for it, you need to make sure that that toy is making the footage good enough so that they hire you again. So, so I mean, essentially, like what happened is, you know, the Ronin came along and clients wouldn't be prepared to pay for it they would always say no we just need you and your camera bring a tripod and that was like all they kind of expected and that's like i speak for like behind the scenes on a big commercial or something like that they're like oh you don't need a stabilizer like we don't need a steady cam as they would think um however the return on investment came not so much on the daily rate of that said item but it was like you're producing footage that was epic so then they would, would hire you again. And then essentially like further down the line, people start realizing, okay, cool. That's the, that's the tool that's making the footage look good. Obviously besides the, the operator, I mean, it is massively involved in the operator, but gear purchasing, you can only go so far. You can only buy so much gear to make your stuff look good. Yeah. Like there's um, a definitely a balance right? yeah. between like who's benefiting more of this, my clients or me. Cause like you said, yeah. they might be getting something or you're buying the camera because it's excelling your footage and you're becoming yeah. the guy that they want. However, are you paying for it or are they paying for it? Exactly. Um, for instance, a tripod. If you go and buy a tripod, you can afford an expensive tripod because you're actually going to use that thing for almost forever. Yeah. Right? Sure. So that kind of thing, you should buy it. You should spend a bit of money on a tripod. Like, don't don't shy away from that. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, but when, it's it, also, when it comes to like a tripod, like you're looking at the good tripods. Like I remember when I bought it, like our first two tripods, like dude, it was like 10, 15 grand. And I was like, guy, am I really spending this amount on a tripod when I could be buying a lens, which I know I'll use every day, all day. Yeah. So, but I get what you're saying. Yeah. That it's a lifetime thing. Like a tripod yeah. will last you for your life. Well, so investing it's, in that's funny of, because you just mentioned the next thing, which is lenses. Yeah. You could spend 10 grand on a lens or 10 grand on a tripod. Those are the two things that you'll probably use for a long time. But when it comes to a camera body, you know, you got to think about it. You got to go like, okay, where are the competitors? How new is this release? And, you know, what is this, what does this feature set hold versus everything else? Like, um, you know, there's, there's certain workhorses and I can name them. It's, you know, it was from the 5Ds. It went to the C100. You're okay. C300. You're, you're okay. But I mean, those are big investments. Then you would go like, the FS7. Now, you'd rather want to spend money on the FS7 mm. than the FS5. And before that was the FS700. You know, those are all cameras that would make you money. But between all those cameras... in-demand cameras. Yeah, between all those cameras are disasters. You know, there's like the FS100. What, that was a waste of time. Um, if you look at FS5, waste of time. And then those are kind of like the low to middle middle brackets... But then you go on to the reds yeah. and you get reds. Red, future proof to some extent, but you got to make it, you got you to buy it when it's new. You don't want to buy it like I did when it's old. Um, yeah, that being said, we bought it for you and it's paid us back uh, in that sense. And we can sell it for, I think it's all about what market you're in and what you can like. On a yeah. red, like you're investing so much in that infrastructure that you better be getting a return on it yeah. because A, your insurance is going to eat you up every month. Yeah. And B, like, yeah, it's just if you're in that market where you can't get that return, it'll be a, possibly a good investment and your footage is looking great and all that stuff. But then the other side of it being the resale value of cameras like that, they're not kind of re like cycling every three years, two years as a 5D that might, you know, out the one. Well, uh, yeah. Fun. I just think it's so unique to someone's scenario because like you said, buying a tripod or buying a lens, like, yeah, these things are going to come back to you. But then it also depends. Like you mentioned earlier, the 5D generation segue people into a new way of getting into the film industry so i think if you're the type of person as a young filmmaker are you making your own projects or are you meeting the needs of your clients so someone like me for example i have i meet the needs of my clients in terms of the fact that most of the time i get hired for me my camera maybe lenses everything else they get like if they need if they need a tripod they get it they need this they get it you know but then at the same time i as not even as as a money-making thing, as, as a passion. I make these travel BMX videos with my friends, right? I need to own all the gear yeah. that that I do that, whether I make money off of it or not. So I try and like buy things that go like, okay, I'm going to benefit this in my personal use, but I'm also going to, my clients are going to pay for it. But then where that confuses some people is then they get gear lust because there's certain things that they just want because like, oh, this is going to make my film so nice, whether or not the people pay for it or not. And then they tend to think like, Let's take a look at a little monitor, for example, because, you know, the monitors on these A7Ss and GH4s aren't very good. And let's say it's a, for argument's sake, a 10,000 Rand monitor. People tend to go like, oh, no, I, I want this. It's going to take me four to four, like maybe three to four day rates and it's paid off. And I think that's a, a mentality that gets a lot of people into trouble because it's not four or five or three to four day rates that paid off. It's whatever money you make more because of owning that 
and let's say you're able to convince your clients that they're going to pay an extra, I don't know, 250 rand or 300 rand to have that monitor on set. That's actually going to take you I don't know, 40 days, 40 days yeah. to make that money back. And then what people don't also realize is that you're going to pay yourself back yeah. for the gear that you buy. Because yeah. at the end of the day, you, you, what you said is extremely important, like buying gear that's going to last you super long. And when it comes to cameras, you know you're going to be recycling cameras every yeah. two years. You've got to accept that. But some gear is going to really return on investment. Like I bought a 70 to 200 Canon lens, I think when I was 20, I will be 25 soon. And I'm going to still use that probably for another, I don't know how long, for the thing's perfect still. Which means that ca- that that lens is still making me money yeah. for a long, long Paid time. Itself off is like, oh, yeah, it's, and it's yeah. a long, long time. Whereas cameras, people often go, I want to get you know the best camera, and and they they try like aim for just getting the camera, and they don't think about you know extra batteries, extra cards, and they they end up in a in a similar scenario you were where you know you've got a camera that's almost not functional because you've only got what like one memory card or yeah x amount of batteries, you know because. And then I realized that there's way more that makes a, a camera kit function than just a camera body. And then you get the extreme situations like what the 5D Mark III when like, you know, I know we bought our first one for I think 28 grand and literally the price appreciated to like, you know, they were like a year later being sold at Ohms for like 40 grand where we oh, could yeah. literally then resell the secondhand one and still make money. I know you, Dan, were in the same yeah, position. I did the where, same thing. Yeah, I got all my money back five years yeah. later. Which is crazy. Like that's, but that's like kind of just throwing a span in the works in terms of the rand dollar volatility and whatever, like prices yeah. can just at any point, like, cause now nah, dude, 50 grand for A7S, 40 grand, like, on a camera, that's crazy. 50 grand a MacBook? Like, dude, a MacBook for 50 grand. Yeah. Like, you know, it used to be 20 grand. Even then, you're like, dude, 20 grand. Now it's like, and mm. we're almost like accepting it, which is weird because but that's what I'm it's saying. Not like we're making twice as much. Like, yeah, all of a sudden, it's like. That's the thing. You have to analyze if it's going to make you more money. And I know, like, you brought up the Ronin scenario, for example, is that typically you'll own it. And if you own it, you need, you're responsible for cleaning it, maintaining it, maybe even upgrading it when it's broke, when it's old. But if a client calls you and says, like, Look, we don't have the full rate for your own and we've got you know, a couple of hundred bucks extra for it, like, could you bring it? You know, then you start to think like, oh, it's, it's, I could make this extra money. It's not enough. It's not my rate for it, but it's going to sit at home and gather dust if I don't. Sure. So you end up bringing it on for cheaper than you should. Yeah, and it's hard to get your clients out of that sometimes. Yeah, but that's I think we then approached that way. It was like, cool, they didn't hire us for a Ronin. Fuck it, we're gonna bring a Ronin because now we're gonna get this badass footage that eventually we're gonna show another client, and they're gonna be like, yo, that footage is dope, and then they'll hire us for our Ronin. Yeah. So meanwhile, this other guy's winning because he didn't pay for the Ronin. Yeah. But it's that's his scenario where we're like, cool, we have a Ronin at home, so we can either go with no Ronin. No one's winning out of that, or we can cool. You're gonna win. We're not gonna get paid for it, but I know like our showreel is not gonna be so much better because then and the next guy's gonna hire us. Yeah, and if, if you, you if you're only clients. gonna use that Ronin, for instance, on the on the jobs where they're paying you for it, mm. you're not gonna get very good because every time you every time you don't get paid for it, it's fine. Just think of it as practice. Yeah. Like you're just practicing, you're working your gear to make it work for you, and you're learning what what it's capable of, etc. So. It's not, you, you can't always look at it as a financial... Um, I, I don't want to come into this as like the cynical, jaded guy who goes like, no, no, it's not about the art or the passion, it's about making money. But I think, you know, in the, in the like short few years that I've been doing this, I had like mad, mad gear lust where I was like, it's all about getting the gear. Like I, I really wanted it. And then to the point as well where you think like, whoa, am I going to make money at some point? Because you're just... Because when people don't comes understand, in and then you go out, and at some point you're like, "Cool, I've 
quarter million rands with a gear, but it's like I'm only getting paid my day rate of yeah, two and a half, three grand, and then it's like, oh. Yeah, because like you mentioned, like return on investment. Don't be that guy who's got a ton of gear, but is like breaking down on yeah. the way to or shoot. Only using ten percent of it, ninety percent of yeah. the time, where the other yeah. night, you know, you just. It, it is cool to be good at using that gear and having all that gear, but you gotta you gotta make a living at some point. Yeah, I mean, it's just something that I'm thinking about as you're speaking. But the the problem that I also see about not owning gear and having to rent gear, so back onto the rental side, is that when when a client approaches you and says, "Hey, can I get a quote?" and you 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 saying, "Cool, this is how how much I cost," and then you go a quote accordingly based on a a rentals page, a gear house, etc. You have no margin for, for now, like leveraging well, budgets because yeah. when they go, cool, we want that, but we only have two and a half. You've kind of <coughs> quoted them three and a half. Yeah. You can't get the camera for cheaper than, like, no. this is what our biggest thing was always. And the fact that why we like have so much in-house gear is because we're able to then offer and leverage that as discounts where we're like, cool, normally we'd do this, but because it's, you know, we want to do the job, you're cool. Let's make it work. We can give you discount yeah. because we own it all. But if you start renting it now, you can't do this unless you then make 200 grand instead of. So the so it's, it's the walkway package deal. It's yeah, always it's package, package deal because there's the thing like I you you use it as a bartering tool, and that, that's kind of why I ended up you know getting an Epic is because I wanted to use it as a bartering tool for better jobs. Yeah, I wanted to like basically like okay, don't lie. You just wanted to say DOP on your website. Stop. Yeah, yeah. Red owner operator. Red hydrogen owner operator. <laughs> But it also allows you then to, at your will, like, you know, make cool content whenever you want instead of being like, cool, I want to go shoot this tomorrow, but oh, shit, I have to now hit up this guy yeah. to borrow his camera, rent his camera. But that's the thing. We were talking about A7S being 50 grand, and that's crazy. Like, making cool content on that, that's cool. Making cool content on a on a on something that is the down payment on a house. Like, when you're talking about, because, we you know, we spend most of this podcast talking about, like, you know, A7Ss, Ronins and stuff, and you mentioned Movi Pros and Red Epics. Now we're talking, if that thing's not paying it back, you are in trouble. Your insurance is, like, a couple grand a month. Yeah, you're in trouble. So, like, that's the thing is, where do you find the balance between, and this is, like, something I've been trying to help a friend out with at the moment, is where do you find the balance between this camera is really good to make me money, but it's also so good to have as a personal setup because sure. there's nothing fun about having a red Epic as a personal setup every day. That's not working. You're, you know, you're yeah. thinking about the insurance. You're thinking about like, until you're shooting, yeah. until you're shooting cool road trip with a red and you're like at, looking at the footage and you're like, dude, like, uh, so yeah, 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 for sure. There's definitely like the personal moments, but at the same time, where, where is the, what is the, the limit to how much you should own? There's like, like you guys looking at buying a techno crane anytime soon. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like, we're selling our Milo and then, yeah. Um, yeah, we're getting a techno crane. Yeah. You know, but, but you know what I'm seeing? Oh, there's, yeah. a, there's a limit. Like at some point, like, well, that's something we don't own. It's the ROI stuff. Like, you know, we're not going to go pay hundred grand on one light, RE light that we're going to use at a yeah. thousand rand a day rate return, which was going to take us two years, three, five, ten years to pay back. Exactly. As opposed to just renting one for grand and then cool to 200 grand light. Yeah. Yeah, that's why you can get C-stands like relatively like good yeah. prices from rental houses because they know they're making this money over years and years and years yeah. versus cameras that need a return in a few it's years. like that exactly, a C-stand, dude. How much is a C-stand? It's a couple grand. Yeah, it's a couple Really? Like for a good C-stand. Yeah, yeah, it's, like it's like legit. You rent them for what, 100 bucks, 100 bucks? 
But when you want to go buy, it's like a couch, dude. You always underappreciate like a couch until you actually go buy your first couch and you're like, dude, what? Like couches are so expensive. Oh, I love couches. Couch the same price as my first car. <laughs> couch is the same price as my first car. Damn, what cars? Uh, what <laughs> what couches are you looking at? Seriously. But like that comes down to is like, I think that at least from the get-go, you need to have the minimal setup that makes you money. So then on that, let's then go, as a young, like upcoming starting filmmaker, what would you guys recommend now? Like if you're getting into the game, like apart from, you know, let's even go a little, don't get too heavy on the camera specifications and try and compare. But I'm talking like, for instance, on my side, biggest game changer was discovering a monopod. Like the day I discovered a monopod, like dude, that was the day I figured I could actually be a filmmaker because it just opened the game. And like, dude, it's like a 2,000, 1,000 rand piece of equipment. Oh, yeah. But I would like, it's been my superhero. It still is like wherever I go. I think now with the handheld gimbals, I'm starting to favor those more. But before that, as we also spoke, I hated handhelds. So I was always needing something and you can get with a monopod like such cool So for instance, that I would highly recommend to anyone coming up that needs some cheap rigging and not want to go handheld. A good video monopod is like the best investment, like a superhero. So we're talking about a gear that we can't live without? Yeah, kind of like if you recommend it to like someone who's starting up, like an 18-year-old Kevin who wants to get into filmmaking and you're like, yo, Kev, you should go get these three things. Damn, 18-year-old Kevin. For, for, for me, right, less bikes and... For me, biggest thing as well along those lines, and I don't know how I got, a lot, got away with not having one for so long, variable ND filter. Like Damn, I don't, variable it took me ND so long filter. to I convince myself why. that I needed that. Yeah. Because like, I just pumped the shutter. But yeah, now with A7S, yeah. where you can't pump it because you got 1600 ISO. So even when my shutter is at 8000, I still need to like stop down. It's funny the things oh. that we convince ourselves in the beginning that, oh, we don't need this. It's not going to do anything for our image. Meanwhile, you, when you discover it, you're like, oh, yeah. It's like polarizer. I would more for photography, I think. Yeah. But like, actually, no. Shooting day video, like event, for instance, without a polarizer, it was illegal. Like, if you worked at GKC, like doing a shooting <laughs> with, if you shot without a polarizer, like you wouldn't get paid. Kind of shit. <laughs> like polarizer was like Damn. literally is the easiest thing. Now all of a sudden, your blue skies are actually blue. They're not getting blown out. And so that I felt was a big, I don't yeah, know, back, was your, back like, then, bef- that was yeah. before ND fields. So now NDs yeah. came along, but at least, you know, NDs weren't around very yeah. well. ND filters weren't around. Well, it was also, it was a, also a, f- a finance thing. You know, you'd be able to buy, you would be able to afford like a polarizer, uh, a circular polarizer. And then you looked at an ND and you're like, damn, that's expensive. You know, that's mm-hmm. like l- what a lens would cost when you're first starting out. But now, yeah, totally. and they weren't around as much as well. Like yeah. a polarizer with photography, they were always around. Like variable sure. NDs. I only saw one, you know, we probably ordered our first one in. I haven't physically seen one like at an arms or something. I'm sure they have them now. But yeah, 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 they do. If I, if I think about the, the advice thing, because you mentioned earlier that there are the, like the, the obvious choices in cameras, the ones that you know are going to return. I, I think between when the 5D started coming out and a lot of companies started to make video cameras, some missed the mark and I think some didn't. But now in 2017, like going into 2018, it's a little harder to buy a bad camera now. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter what brand you look at, like they've all got something going for them when yeah. you get a Panasonic or a Sony or, you know, even though we all hate on them, the 5D Mark IV, like, damn, have you guys touched a focus on that thing? Mm-mm. Insane. You know, like they all do something really cool. So I think what it comes down to is, spend way less time stressing about the camera body you're buying because you're going to replace it in a year or two. Yeah. I think it's like the lenses, like if I think about all my lenses, I just, I've had them forever. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know, like they're still going. So I think... So lenses over bodies. Lenses over bodies lenses because are, those are going to last so much longer. And, and if you are starting, I mean, the, th- the three of us sitting here now, we are 
deeply invested in Canon lenses. So we are in no yeah. position to really get out of that rabbit hole. And the thing is, we've all found ourselves going putting on, from our 5D, putting on onto our reds. And that's kind of like yeah. worked in our favor. But now, now if I look at, look at the cameras that are out there, the Sonys, the Panasonics, and the Canons, and you know, whatever, you need to choose what lenses you're going to stick with for a while. Yeah, that's a um, bit like of a it's like a commitment issue. Yeah, like if I'm if I'm going to suggest like you know go get a GH5, before I would even suggest it, I would I would bite my tongue and think like what lens can I recommend for that camera? Because if you recommend a lens that isn't native, then it's a Metabones, and a Metabones costs the same price as the lens. So then mm, you know you sh you're shooting a kid in the foot because you like you can't just you can't just immediately suggest something you know mm. sony a 63 6500 whatever they are at the moment are they going to go e-mount e lenses or are they going to go ef and then you know so it's kind of like you know i think in, and it's quite specific to south africa just because of availability but i still think canon glass is the most or canon mount let's canon say, mount. Let's say canon, canon, mount. Mount. canon mount i mean canon mount is still the most adaptable and most like the second hand market is good, I think. Because oh, so if, if you think I about think it this way, like your bigger camera lenses, you know, I mean, your bigger cameras, like your reds, do we have a Canon mount for our red? Like, yeah, there's no GH5 Panasonic native mount that goes into the red or into like, so I feel like Canon's got the jump on that where their mount is just so universal and widespread now that even the bigger guys above the SLR range mm. is on the Canon but mounts. That was 100% a marketing thing. I don't think they said like Canon mount is the best. They no, just said, they oh, the look at our market. Everyone went from 5Ds to whatever is next. Yeah. And those people have a collection of Canon glass. And if I think about myself, I went from, I've swapped brands like four or five times, but I've never swapped lens brand, yeah, lens exactly. mount at least. I had, a, us, yeah. I had a Canon, then I had Sony. Uh, yeah, I think I had a Canon again, and then I, I have an Epic now, and they all have Canon mounts. And even Aries have Canon mounts yeah. sometimes. So you know that that's, I think... If I would give advice to someone starting out, I think that's still in South Africa, the most adaptable mount. And if you yeah. reverse you reverse engineer it, the likelihood of finding a mount for a Canon mount lens is the highest likelihood as well. Like, you know, they're being the most widely produced. And totally. also you get you get third parties like the Sigmas that, yeah. that make the, you know, incredible lenses yeah, that are, like that are EF mounts. Yeah. Um, I think that is maybe now that, I, like, it might be the only reason why Canon's kind of still in the game is because we yeah, all... Mounts we all Ooh, so deeply yeah. involved with the EF lens. I mean, like they're making more money of just making lens mounts. Like they're like, yeah. oh, whatever about 5D Mark IV yeah. is fine. Everyone's just using our lens mounts. It's like like Samsung so and true. iPhone screens. It's like, cool, whatever. That's so true. Yeah. But um, while touching on that, I think when we're talking budget and money and value for money, I'm very impressed with like the Samyang rocking on like those set of primes that are just sure. de-clicked for video. Like we still shoot on our 35 and our 20 that we got now and the 85 and like the value, like those are four grand, five grand yeah. lenses, so which compared to a 15, 20 grand Canon or Zeiss or something, it's your value for money. Yeah, and I, they're sturdy. I do have a, I do have a qualm with them. And the thing is, it's like, if we can just, if we can just say that image quality across them is perfectly fine. I'm not saying that they're amazing lenses. They're fast, they're sharp, but they de-clicked and they are focused at focus gear for all of focus usage. They are not the cinema. Throw. They are not cinema lenses. They don't have the throw. No, but guys, you're paying four grand. Like this yeah, is like I we're talking you. about the guy who's starting out. This is four. Like if, if this was eight, eight, five years ago, where we had a five D, and okay. I was like, cool, what lens to get? Like if I was to tell myself now, 
I'd probably get like a set of Samyangs instead of one L series lens. Like if uh-huh. I had to sacrifice my 16 to 35 Valid, to have four woods to Samyang lenses at that age where then I've got like four primes, like ah, yeah, but like in hindsight, looking back, I would. I still love it, my Canon. But the, the, the thing is they are sold as cinema lenses and now having worked with focus pullers that are pulling wirelessly, it's yeah. virtually impossible for them to do certain certain moves. But that's just like, a marketing thing, right? Like, and the, yeah, we, the we, thing we is essentially, what they've done is they've essentially attached a, a geared piece of plastic and it looks like to a, a stills lens yeah. in terms of the amount and of de- throw de-clicked, and yeah. declicked it. Yeah. Like, cool, the declicking thing, if you're going to do aperture racks or aperture pulls, whatever, then that's that's no, amazing. Great. But the the fact of the focus throw and, and calling them cinema lenses when you're using someone who is a focus puller they are going to struggle. And I've now worked with multiple focus pullers where they've gone like, oh, I hate this thing. Yeah. Um, before that, I was like, oh, they're amazing. They're cinema lenses. Um, no discredit to them as optically, optically they're brilliant. They're fine. So let's um, put it then in four years, you're going to grow out of them. Yeah. But at that point, you only spend four or five grand on a lens that yeah. will last you four or five years and give you solid but, like 1.4, like D-click, like yeah. this stuff's not heard of in the other lenses. But also like prepare yourself for that. If there are any new filmmakers listening to this, like just prepare yourself for it. Everything, everything becomes obsolete at some point. Everything costs money. You grow out of everything. You grow out of stuff. Like you, you need to be recycling, and that's why um, that probably makes more sense now. When I'm talking about what I spoke about earlier with ROI, it needs to make money in the short amount of time that it yeah. that it's worth to you. Because some things aren't worth like like you're saying like these lenses. You, what that's why a Canon lens you're not going to get like you know if you're paying 15 grand on one lens how long is that going to take you back on a day rate to make back well as opposed to Samyang you've got for 4 grand sorry I'll just like yeah. close this one off quickly uh, but what Diavolt said was basically like oh but you know as a young guy like 4 to 5 grand like this is what I can afford and you're saying oh but when I work with focus pullers that is like a whole yeah, yeah. career no, no, apart apples and I oranges feel. Too yeah like when you're first starting out and you're looking to get, you know, I want a wide lens, I want a 50 mil, I want something to do close-ups, maybe like a macro. You know, those, those what are they called? Samyangs. Those Samyangs, they're, they're all you can afford. You can't be thinking about like, oh, but my focus puller, like on my wireless set, you know, that's going to come years. You're not looking at that lens if you've got a focus puller and a wireless yeah, set. Yeah, then I think that's we, 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 we were lucky where we bought them three years ago and now we still have them. So now we've got focus pullers and stuff and we try yeah. to use these lenses and this is where we're realizing, okay, wait. Yeah, you're only using them because true. you returned on them years ago and you still keep them around. But we could sell these for the exact same price we bought them for. Like, that's the thing. They look the exact same. They're just so solid lenses, you know. Yeah, well, the... the Except also the 40 mil, but he got dropped. The, thing, the thing with those lenses also is the fact that they are adaptable to full frame. I think that's mm. another thing that you got to think about if you're going to buy these lenses because there are certain Samyang lenses that do not fit on a full frame camera, that APS-C specific. Um, so it's cool. The range that we do own are full frame, full frame friendly, if I can say that much. So full frame friendly. Like that's another thing that you want to think about if you are going to buy lenses. It's like, cool, right now you might only be able to own an ATD, a Canon ATD. Let me buy an EF lens. But if it's a APS-C specific lens, you know, you got to think about it. Like, is it worth your while to save money on this now when at the end of the day, you're going to have to sell the lens and the body? Um, yeah, so you got to think about compatibility, like compatibility, compatibility, not compatibility with, with all your gear and how... You know, if you make one decision in a body later on, like having a different camera body, you have to sell all your gear, you know? Exactly. It's kind of how, like, I got a really good deal on my 
on my Epic because the new, they, they pulled an Apple on us and their, their new bodies need new memory cards and new cables and new whatever. So it meant that the person selling to me had to get rid of a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Because it wasn't compatible. So I think at the end of the day, it's like, and I think this is something we've all done pretty well, is like, it's the amount of research. If you are buying gear, like just do a shitload of research. Like there's so many YouTube videos, no film schools, like all that. And I love that process of actually buying gear. Like when you're just it's going exciting, for like right? dude, a day and you're just reading articles and you're learning every little thing about this piece and then you're like, yeah, this is the one. But at the same time, what's frustrating being in that scenario is let's say you're looking for reviews on, on a GH4, GH5. Now, the thing is that camera is there where it's good enough quality to attract filmmakers, but cheap enough to be in the hands of consumers. And what I find the most frustrating thing about the research process is the, the, first, the first people who are putting reviews up aren't the people who are making yeah, no, crazy projects. Like, if they're a good DOP, they're working on stuff that's only coming out in months' time or it's still going to go through agency and post-production. So you, the first two, three months of researching gear is so frustrating because when something comes out, it's hard to find someone who got hold of it who's good and made a project that weekend so you almost got to stay clear of some reviews. But in hindsight game. with that is you would already have done two months of anticipation waiting on this new GH5. So you know like literally everything. You're, yeah, you're just you're waiting on like this the one teasing guy. specs. But, yeah. Yeah. But, then, but then you research something like an FS7 or you get into the reds and stuff like that. They're typically in the hands of people who know what they're doing. So you, you end up going like, damn, like this camera is insane. Whereas it might not be like crazy where, different from the camera you're looking at. It's just more I, I novices have it in their Then hands. it's your source of research where it's your no film school and your f-stop or whatever reviews or whoever like those like reputable the, guys that are actually... Yeah. There's a lot of Philip yeah, Blooms in this guys. world now. People who like, you got to find someone you trust almost. Yeah. Like a reviewer you trust, you know, he's going to get it first. Like, yeah, this digital rev guy, dude, I love that guy. But, like, he's not the best photographer. And, like, but doesn't, <laughs> but Kai, he's a my car. Yeah, yeah, Didn't yeah. He leave, he's he left it. Yeah, yeah. I haven't watched it in a while. Yeah, but, like, yeah, dude, I love that shit. to YouTube. Fan. But I wouldn't watch his shit to get, like, a technical no, no film breakdown not. on oh, no, this lens. It'd be more comedy. just like, cool, he's putting his 70 on fire. Yeah, and, I mean, like, Kai, Kai is one of the first guys to always get the gear and you watch it for the entertainment factor. And, like, you know, you get a bit of an understanding of how it performs and stuff like that but there's nothing scientific about it yeah so you you want to kind of wait around for somebody who's you know this is my six month waiting period trial tested um review that's the kind of thing that you're going to go for but whether you're going to wait six months to buy the thing or you're just going to go for it because the thing is at the end of the day we all get caught up on specs so we're going to look at specs and we're going to go wow you know this thing shoots this it shoots that um but it's going to have a downfall versus something else. It always everything, does. Everything Every single thing. I don't know, but like, guys, A7S Mark III, 50 frames, 4K, <laughs> I'm done. Like, I don't need a new yeah, camera for five shutters, years. Or, it's 8-bit, bruv. That rolling shutter, bruv. You guys come with all this whatever, whatever. Ah, I have yeah, 50 but the, frames, but, but hold on, 4K. Like, but we, I'm not trying to do it from a, like, commercial DOP, DOP standpoint. I'm thinking, yeah. like, you know, travel all day kind of that camera yeah. stuff. But we, we're bantering each other, but we're bringing up actually a really good point now is that every camera has an up and down. Yeah. yeah. Like and, and that's the crazy thing, thing is like you're gonna buy something you need to buy for what you shoot the most, yeah. and you're not gonna you're not gonna be happy with it on every shoot, and that's and that's like the sad thing because all cameras are good at something. And in two years, that camera's gonna be changing, and what you're left with is the lens that you had from five years <laughs> ago, yeah. and that's where you're like, nah, tripod, guys, come on, buy a tripod, <laughs> monopod, yo. you'll be happy with it for the rest no, of your life. Monopod. Um, yeah. Yeah, yo, I think that pretty much topic-wise, like, 
any kind of are there any like cool hot gear like little things that you guys are actually looking forward to just to kind of close yeah things? i'm hyped on the small hd focus monitor is that for real? I don't know, I don't own it. I have a mate who recently got it. I think it fixes two major problems if you're in the GH4 or A7S world. More so the A7S world because the battery life on those aren't very good. Yeah. But what happens is these monitors, uh, you can like slave a dummy battery into your camera, and then whatever the big battery, like the big Sony batteries, you put on your monitor will power your A7S and the monitor. And then on top of that, you get all the cool focusing tools and lots of support. pretty bright, I'm guessing, right? Because R502 I don't think it's the is the bane of my like. I don't think gear. it's the brightest, but look, anything is better than the, the screen on the A7S. I don't know, R502 and the screen. And the 502 is just a bigger version of the A7S screen. Like, I don't know, I hate, I haven't, oh, really? maybe it's I just haven't enough. got the settings right. Do you have a hood on it? Yeah, there's a hood and all that shit, but like, who the fuck wants a hood on a a Ronin, like when you're out in the sunshine, like how are you going to... I suppose that's true. Um, Anyways, I thought it was a a cool, I just thought it was a very innovative way of fixing two problems with one purchase. I don't know if it's the hottest gear out right now that I, but it's just the first thing you're looking up. It's the first thing that came to my mind that fixes the issue of the tiny screen on the A7S, which also just has like a lot of settings on it and things that you get distracted from image. And on top of that, I I think I own nine A7S batteries at one point. So if if I could use those for other things. Yeah. And and do you know what would be actually hilarious is that cool. You put that monitor on there. What you're going to power it with? A7S. Canon 5D batteries. Yeah! <laughs> 5D, back at it again six years and later. Speaking of five, this is more of a cycle. No, 10 years team. later, guys. 5D Mark II came out in 2008. We're almost we 10 years on the 5D oh, Mark II. We should have a little a celebration party. Yeah, we should. I think we should. Like, we, we, owe it, we owe it to, we owe to it. Canon. They want to have a 2D. Yeah, 5 Mark II. But on that no video for Canon Light, dude, it's back. I don't know why every time we throw I think we throw it away and it keeps coming back. Yeah, but on your side, six. Anything yeah. from your side, Dan? Because I know you don't have a camera, so what's the vibe there? Are you? Um, oh, yeah, that's something, us, like, that's something we should have brought in up. Three minutes. Tell us about why, not why you don't have a camera, but what are your plans for? Shit, hot are DP you getting a camera? camera? Aren't you? Um, another, you know. Well, so so to give context to where I am at the moment, is I went from a 5D owner to a red Epic, no. A red Scarlet Dragon, Scarlet Dragon owner. And then I sold that. And I'm currently sitting in a position where I don't own anything. And the reason being is because I've, yeah, like I've, like just, I've just used whatever the project has required or whatever gear has been available for said project. So, Hi, I'm Kevin Schneider. Rent my camera, please. <laughs> I would GKC. We also have a red Scarlet. <laughs> and our prices are better than Kevin's. So. Oh, I get wrecked, mate. <laughs> I have a glad camera. <laughs> we have a mommy from <laughs> Sorry, Dan. We just digress. Um, yeah, so so what I'm looking at at the moment, and maybe I should just state kind of like my thought process is the thing was your lower range, your lower range pro cameras when it like you know the mirrorless range, the A7S, the A7R, um, your GH4s, GH5s, those are kind of like your workhorses, lower range, um, less le- less expensive. No, but if you want to work in the industry, that's what you got to own, like. You, yeah, yeah, if, yeah. If you're a hobbyist filmmaker, you don't need to own that. But if you want to be in the industry, that's what you have to own. And it's then, also bad calling A7S low range when you're paying sixty grand. Yeah, that's yeah. the funny <laughs> thing. Is like as I said earlier, filmmaking is not cheap, man. Yeah. Like, like to realize that now. If yeah. you were listening to this podcast, thinking you could do this for for grand, uh, your iPhone no. is the way. And then, then you got the high end side, which is obviously your Reds and your Aries, um, and you know your massive 
Sony cinema cinema cameras, the F5, F55s. Anyway, and then you get the middle ground, which is your FS7s, your C300 Mark IIs, etc. And the thing with those cameras in the middle ground, those specs are the ones that trickle down into your lower. And it's it's whether you want to go and invest in that middle ground and hopefully the industry is going to make use of that and pay the pay the rate on it or you're going to buy it and you're going to kick yourself in the in the in the head like 6 months later because you found those specs have now moved down into the lower end cameras so true so for me I'm in this weird position now where I'm thinking like shit should I go along the lines of say C200 because that has really piqued my interest you know raw raw 4K uh, 50 yeah, frames yeah. amazing camera yeah. but i have to go and buy cfast 2 cards which are like ridiculously wow. expensive yeah. and sa especially they're like double the price of in america or do you do you wait and then see what the a7s 3 is going to bring out because i can guarantee that's probably going to have I can guarantee probably it's, <laughs> yeah. it's probably going to have 4k 50 <laughs> frames maybe, yeah. but it's but, probably yeah. going to be for 8 bit so now yeah. it's kind of like mm, am i buying raw 10 bit for me or am i buying raw 10 for your clients or yeah ah. or am i going to wait for the a7s to come out of the same specs and then be a smaller package yeah which but, people don't do you s- got a7s with the odyssey q or whatever the never recorder you're saving space but, on the small small i've never done it i'm never. just saying Too that big, it, man. but i'm thinking but like the, the chances of them bringing out another recorder that's going to be that and you're going to be able to make your 8-bit 10 bit of a little guy instead of odyssey is it there likelihood that I haven't been in gear? It doesn't. Last output, year. It doesn't output ten bit. So yeah. it, it won't so make a difference. Remember, it, it can receive that data. It doesn't mean the camera is giving it. Okay. But yeah. I also think what, what you're saying is super important. And uh, if if you fo- if if you're listening to the, to us and you don't follow Matt Workman at Cinematography Database, you should get on that because his stuff is really good. Um, and you don't have to play your YouTube video at two times speed because he speaks really fast. But what you're saying is super important because sometimes you're upgrading from your low range to your middle range. You know, he went from like GH5, A7S to like C200 or C300 or FS7. Sometimes you're not getting a massive quality jump. You're getting a massive ergonomic jump. Exactly. You're you're going and you're getting these expensive, these better cameras, not because the image is better, but they've got certain things that you need on set. SDI uh, outputs and inputs and XLRs and maybe, you know, waveform monitors, more focus assist. Like you're getting a more functional camera for a filmmaker. Yeah. Doesn't mean like that the image is a hell of a lot better. I mean that that's exactly it. I mean I laugh I, honestly I laugh at the guys who go and buy a seven S two. Then they go put a cage on it. Yeah. Then they put a V-lock mounted uh, dummy battery yeah. on the thing. Then they go put an Odyssey or a um you know a Pix recorder on the thing. By the time your small camera has become this awkward yeah. monster yeah. and you just like Frank and Rick. why but did you why did you go down that, that route when he wants that Sony's now a Sony store he can go fucking travel and use a fucking small cam on a Ronin yeah. gimbal how, so it's how, like, how awkward was a C100 Mark II it was an excellent camera we used it all the time for traveling yeah. so you see the thing is like if you're gonna go build this camera this small camera into a massive Frankenstein then no, but we think- downgraded from a C200 to an A7S because of size and just quality where the size was the one that actually got us in the end because our handheld gimbals that we're traveling with now weren't big enough for Sony. But, the, mean, S- for but the A7S, yeah. the A7S was better but I think it, than the C- better, C100. I want to meet you guys in the middle though. Uh, Spec-wise, way better. Yeah, okay. But either yeah. way, that was part of it was the fact that because it was still so small, it allows us... So, you know, I get what you're saying. I agree on the whole caging it and putting a pics and now you've got this massive camera that 
was yeah. so small. But that does the light, so have it be a small camera that... Yeah. Pixel, I think it's your I needs. I think it's your needs. If you're the type of person who still needs to have it small at times, then there is definitely a... Um, it's a, it's a valid thing. Yeah, there's definitely something about being able to go big and being able to go small. But yeah. nowadays, some of the, the really good cameras are small from the, you know, from, from the, the gecko. But from the gecko. Our minis and one. But we digress it, Dan. So back to your story of what are you <laughs> going to do? This is the suspense. What are you going to do? We want to know. We want to know. Uh, I'm probably going to go for the middle ground. Um, and the reason being is because... iPhone X. Yo, 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 yo. yo. <laughs> it's about the same um, price as whatever you're gonna buy no because like i'm not gonna go crude on this podcast but essentially at the end of the day if you want to call yourself a dop and your work stand stands up to being of dop status you can't be shooting on a small camera like i was having this conversation last week i was like you know i would shoot on the f7s a lot of the time but i can't we can't rock up onto set with a client and be like hey guys cool we're gonna shoot this with this camera yeah. which is tiny like you can't to red where they're like yeah yeah this is a legit production uh, like, sometimes people just want to see red and like that's that's not me saying that that's the industry saying it no, that's what yeah. the industry expects the industry is not going to take you seriously unfortunately if you rock up with but this, this is thing. the kind of shit these people want to hear that are listening that this is the truth of it exactly that like Look, a lot of the time you can't just rock up with a small camera because people want to take you serious yeah, superficial as that is that is the name of the game it's like a lot of clients where you quote too little they'll won't take you serious because they're gonna be like yo your price is too low yeah quote higher and then all of a sudden now you they're like yeah yeah well, well that's about studio photographers who've like put on a zero for fake for show yeah 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 I know, I know some, like the two people that might be listening to this are probably going to shake their head and say like, you know, it's not all about the, the, the size of the tool, but the, at the end of the day, like the industry is going to demand a certain, a certain perception of what it is that you're going to bring. And, and the tool is obviously looked at, like if this guy's good, he's using good tools. And the thing is, as camera guys, we not, we not based on how the end product is coming together. Like, cause the small cameras can de develop the good enough image like 100 percent, but sure. you're not going to be on set or in the in the loop when it comes to the edits and the final product so you kind of need to make that impression i can't tell you how many times i've been on said a set or in a discussion where i've just happened to like drop that i owned a red and people all of a sudden change their perception oh yeah as, you're, as like a, you're like a DP and they've never even seen your work as pathetic as it is Sounds, yeah. it is just one of those reversing things. that reversing that situation about the guy who takes the sony a7s cages that puts a pix on it bam all of a sudden you show that to a client on set and this guy all of a sudden thinks yo guys look at this camera we're shooting with meanwhile it's just a sony a7s that's now been disguised as like you know wolf in sheep's clothing or whatever but then the it comes down to how much they know like if yeah, they know yeah. it's an a7s deep down there maybe they're not going to be too impressed but at the end of the day like a company like red has really nailed their marketing because now like people who don't even know much that's about debatable though though now that they're selling in apple iphones iphone stores like you know they're literally selling a red raven you can buy it in apple store oh really yeah like oh, it came out of months but at the same time that's interesting from their yeah, side because their now raven. that's their market for the raven yeah but it kind of shows like camera, i guess yeah consumer red, 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 that's what i'm seeing <laughs> now red, exactly so. but that's a, that's actually the funny thing when when earlier on before i said iphone x you mentioned like if if you're listening to this and you only have a grand 
like use your iPhone. It's like, damn, dude, iPhones are expensive. iPhone, like, like, uh, iPhones more expensive. Yeah, like, like, maybe maybe we're a little bit screwed because we live in South Africa and everything is just a little bit more expensive. But damn, like gear is expensive. All of it's expensive. It's yeah. about dude. I was considering wood making the other day, dude, in a builder's warehouse. And dude, I looked at the price of power tools and I was like, oh my god, like dude, I could buy a whole set of power tools Bosch. for one lens. Like comparing when looking at film gear, and I was like, oh my god, that's twenty grand. Whoa, it's gonna yeah. take so long. Look at a power tool for two grand. I'm like, dude. Hook me up. I'll take like yeah, three of these. Yeah. Like I didn't get D- any. Give me the one that shoots 4K. Um, <laughs> but I, like I know what you mean. It's 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 almost numbed us to now when we look at things outside of the film industry. We're like, oh, that's not too bad because yeah, because specialized gear for the film industry is that expensive. I remember my one of the first BTS shoots. I picked up one of the five set lenses that they had, and it was literally like two million rand in that little case. And I just like, and they let me pick it up. I was like, dude, I'm picking up two million rand right in this little box of a pelican case i was like how the fuck is this even but it's funny coming back because you mentioned about like you you mentioned that you own a red and then people change your perception is that i feel like some people just they, they just know about the name and then sometimes they just want the red to be on set and i had this conversation with someone yesterday actually like another friend who wants gear and i was saying like let's say i don't know like fnb big bank in south africa they wanted. They make one of their very inspiring, like investing commercials, right? At the end of the day, what needs to be on that set besides a camera? The, it doesn't matter what camera you shoot on. There has to be catering, security, lights, agency, you know, actors. You got to pay for location. At the end of the day, like whatever they're executing, will never do anything extra to the the audience. If it was shot on an Ari, if it was shot on a Red, you could shoot it on a five D. It'll look it will, the same to a degree of... Yeah, yeah, if you've degree, done the like, rest of the job right, then there's a good yeah. chance there'll be a 5-10% difference in quality. Yeah. If you if you did the, the set design properly, if you did the lighting properly, if you directed it properly, your your client is still going to cry when you wanted them to cry. They're still going to... Not the client, the audience. They're going to laugh when you wanted them to laugh. At the end of the day, why these cameras are so like glorified, I think, is that when you're spending 2 million rand on a production and upwards, mm. people go... Damn, well, it's, it's, it's a trivial amount to spend an extra few thousand rand just to get a 8K camera on set. We don't need it. It's never going to do anything for the project. Or the opposite, where it's like, yo, we're spending two, five million rand on this production. How are we going to shoot it on a little camera that my grandma has? Like, yeah, like, that, know, any, like that any person can own. And at the end of the day, like, it, the stories need to be good. Yeah. And the camera is just going to be there because they go, okay, well, let's future proof this or let's just because we can shoot it on something that shoots 8K and raw and something, let's bring it on because we can afford it as a production. So that yeah, brings us wanted. to the yeah. next podcast where we talk about how, you know, anyone with the Osmo can be a filmmaker, but now to separate yourself as being a real filmmaker, that's where the story and all the actual filmmaking is going to differentiate you yeah. and not so much your camera gear, but that's for another time. So um, Damn, that's cool. exciting. Um, any plugs before we bounce? Kev, is there any plugs you want to do? You're not here all the time, so um, would you like to shout out your Instagram? You yeah. got five listeners, they'll come follow you maybe. If you want to, yeah, I'm Kevin Schneider, K-E-V-I-N-S-C-H-N-I-D-E-R. <laughs> Kevin Schneider on Instagram <laughs> and .com. Um, yeah, I do like, I travel a little, bit, a little bit and I shoot some bicycles and some extreme sports. And you can see into- photos of Kevin's red on his Instagram. Yeah, like I plug my red because rent my red. And he's got red hair. So and I got red hair. So yeah, goes, come you know. check it out. Rent my camera. Have a coffee. Daniel, you kept shit pretty decent, you know, right? Yeah. We've been hiring Kev for five years just because he's a nice guy, to be honest. Yeah. We never use his footage. Because I had a glide camera. He's just, I had a glide camera. Dan, from your side? Me, Dan underscore Walsh. Jokes. Mr. Mr. Dan Walsh, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mr. Underscore Dan Walsh. Uh, check me out if you don't already. 
That'll be hugely appreciated. I might follow you back. I probably will follow you back. <laughs> yeah, at least like one or two of their photos. <laughs> Maybe one or two. Um, cool from my side. The Selects, still pushing it. www.theselects.co.za. Um, the event is happening in Jan. Submissions close at the end of December. So we're doing a new round of kind of pushing that. So if you've got cool content that you've shot or you're about to shoot, keep the selects in mind, upload it, we'll post it, we'll tag it. You stand a chance of winning some cash papers. Um, yeah, gkc.media, devault underscore brunt. Um, just get my plugs in there. Anything else? Uh... Your only chance to evacuate is to leave with us.